0: everybody, Jeremy Weiss here with Weiss Tech Hawk. Welcome to Weiss Tech Soundbites. What's going on everybody? I just picked up a new app and uh, maybe it's obnoxious but... I'm experimenting with it a little bit. Pretty cool, though. You can uh, add in music, mix in your voice, do all kinds of stuff, all in real time. So, uh, basically, it makes it so that you don't have to go back and do anything after the fact, which is good from my end. Might not make much of a difference for you guys, though. But, anyways, in today's soundbite... Um, so, I guess I should preface this. A couple weeks ago, I did... I think it was two soundbites that had to do with teams, coming up against teams that played using superstar players, right? So they've, you know, the whole team is fairly average, but they've got one player on the team that really is responsible for, you know, 85% of the team's offensive production or more, right? So there were a few questions that came in after those, and um, one of the ones actually spoke to me, it was a little bit, I thought it was interesting, is, um, you know, if I could address what to do when you are that superstar. So how is it that you should play if you find yourself on a team where you're the only player really capable of doing much? So it's kind of an interesting, uh, I guess, f- flip it around, you know, because there has a tendency to be, I think, almost a negative connotation with this when, um, you know, you face it against another team, and, uh, you know, you, I've, I've said it to my players, I know for sure, and I've had coaches say it to me when it's, you know, when we're coming up against a team that's that's just got one, you know, one, maybe two superstars and the rest of the team's pretty average. But you you kind of almost criticize it a little bit. You're like, what? Really? the whole team's just the one kid. You know, all we got to do is worry about that one kid and that, that'll take care of itself. And it's almost a, almost comes across as a negative thing. Which, you know, in the grand sense of things, I guess it is, but it's not necessarily the fault of the player that's the so-called superstar, right? So, um... I guess kind of going back a little bit on some uh, some personal personal story here, and again, hopefully this doesn't come across wrong because I really don't mean it to. Um, so I grew up in Toronto, played played at a pretty high level up until I was about 14 years old, and uh, the year prior to moving to the states, my team had won the Ontario Championships AAA. I mean, really, there was no more. There there it was the highest level we could have played, and we won the biggest tournament we could have won, really. I mean, we won everything that year. Um, And so, and then my family, my dad took a job in Utah. So we go from uh, Toronto, which is one of the hockey capitals of the world, um, to a place where hockey wasn't nearly as as developed. And um, it ended up being like a big fish, small pond type scenario for me, where, um, you know, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't wasn't my fault. Um, I had just... I uh, spent most of my life playing in a place and on a team that was uh, much more uh, hockey maturity level was was much greater than where I had moved to. So I ended up, um, especially in the high school realm, um, being you know one of the being, being one of those players that was responsible for about you know eighty-five to ninety percent of of the team's offensive production. So if you find yourself in that scenario, so what, what do you do? You know, like what, let's say, cause the reason why this came in is there was a, a father that, that had made a comment where his kid had just, they'd just moved their family from Michigan to Florida. So it was a very similar situation. Um, so I guess the question is, how do you still make it meaningful? How do you still make the development meaningful? Uh, and what is the best way to contribute to a team? If you find yourself in that situation where the, you're the only one, on the team who's, uh, you know, capable of, of generating that offensive production, really where the, the success or failure of the team kind of rests upon one player's shoulder. What do you do? What's the best way? Well, there's a few different aspects of this, I think. Um, first of all, I think that there are, there are times and there are benefits to being the player who's far and away above, uh, you know, skill level and far away and above, um, experience level as everybody else on the team or in the league, uh, for me, it worked out well in terms of developing stick handling abilities because the pace, what, what I ended up doing, um, you may remember this from previous sound bites or previous you know, blog posts or anything like that. Uh, I ended up playing, the way it worked out, it's kind of a long story, but the way it worked out, I ended up playing, there was a Junior B team here at the time. So I ended up playing Junior B as a 14-year-old. Um, that was where my quote-unquote real hockey came in. And then I ended up still playing high school, um, more just for fun, you know, a chance to get extra ice time. Um, <clears throat> so in the real hockey, I, I still did fine. Talent wise, it was fine. Um, I learned to play the bigger man game, you know, I, I guess the little man game, I was a lot smaller than everybody else. <laughs> so I learned to play bigger, um, which was fine, you know, skill wise and everything was fine. Um. So I had my real hockey, I guess you could call it, and then I had my my more for fun hockey, where I it was the big fish, small pond type thing. So um, developmentally, the high school program was an opportunity for me to work on skills that I wasn't as good at. So individual skills. So I was I'm, I'm a speed man. Speed's my game. I'm getting older now, so I don't know if that's still the case in my men's league, but as a kid, when I was playing seriously, speed was speed and passing were my two strong suits. I was okay around the net, you know, decent shot, quick release, pretty accurate from close in, um, but really speed and passing was my game. Um, stick handling wasn't a strong suit. I mean, it's good enough to get by, good enough that it didn't impede on my other abilities, but I, I definitely would not consider myself to be... Uh, you know, Mr. Dangles or anything like that. Definitely not Pavel Datsouk style. So I used the high school opportunity, the the lesser caliber play, as an opportunity to work on some of those individual skills. As an opportunity, you know, the, the pace of the game was slower. The players weren't quite as good. So it was an opportunity for me to develop my hands. Um, so from a developmental standpoint, I think that that's a, definitely one aspect where you can look at it and say, okay, you know, this could work out this way. So it doesn't have to be all at a loss, in other words. If you find yourself in that situation, it doesn't have to be a wasted season uh, if you have the right approach to it. So use it as an opportunity to develop certain abilities that you, that are harder to do in a faster pace, higher quality game. Um, So stick handling is one of those, um, you know, creativity, you know, stuff like that. Um, working on your deeks, working on, you know, the, the stick handling, I think is, is kind of the big one, at least in my mind that you can really, uh, develop in a, in a lesser quality environment. Um, so that's the first aspect. The second aspect is what strategically, what do you do, right? When I first started playing hockey or playing high school hockey in, you know, when we first started moving here, I, I didn't change much from, how I had been playing previously so I came out and it was a speed game for me you know I was used to going uh, you know 30 second to a minute long shifts full speed get in there bump and grind and then get off the ice and rest for for a minute and a half Um, or for two minutes I guess you could say so for me you know going into that mindset uh, it didn't work out nearly as well when it doesn't work nearly as well when you're the only player on the team that uh, that can function. When I, I guess I, I like I said, I hope this isn't coming across wrong. Um, but high school hockey in Utah is—it's uh, gotten better since when I first moved here. But it's—it's it's one of those situations where it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's a club—it's a club sport here, and there isn't a ton of hockey, anyways. So a lot of times you find yourself with beginners on your team. So literally, like, you'll have one or two decent players on a team, and then the rest of the team will be uh, moderate to beginners, right? Like, mediocre to beginner. And so that's just the way it was, right? And so when you're the only player on the team, you know, like, yes, could I be the best four check man? Yes, I could. I could go in there and uh, go full speed and put real good pressure on. But if you don't have support men... You know, it's one thing if I can go in and angle the play in a certain direction, but if you don't have players on your team that will go down, um, you know, read which direction you're angling the play, and then get in position to support that, you know, where they can intercept passes or make the hit when the when the breakout pass is made or or whatever. Then really, it's all for naught. So that's what was happening originally when I first started, because I'd be like, all right, I'm I'm closest man, I'm going. So I'd go in, I put pressure, and then um, they'd make one pass, beat me, and there wasn't the support to back up the initial pressure that I had put. So really, it became me just burning energy. You know, I burned down, and, and uh, unless I stopped the play myself, which doesn't happen very often, um, you know, then they'd be walking out the other end, and now I'm back checking, and so I'm blowing away all my energy, uh, you know, just chasing the puck around. And when you don't have the support to back that up, it makes no sense. So if you're the only one on the team, you' or if you're in this situation like I was, well you know you hopefully one of your goals is to help your team win, right And so how are you best suited to help your team win? Now that's a question that you got to figure out. So you look at your team you look at your strengths and weaknesses, you look at uh, not only not only your own strengths and weaknesses but the strengths and weaknesses of your team and figure out where does my team really best need me and who is going to be able to, who's going to be able to support me. And you know it sounds like a selfish mindset, but really it's 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 a reality sometimes. And if you're truly a team player, then you're going to try to figure out what's the best way that the, that that I'll be able to be useful for the team. And like I said, this isn't this isn't necessarily. I mean Anytime that you're the only player contributing offensively, this isn't real hockey anyways, right? That's why I called it kind of quote-unquote real hockey. Um, so the question is, is you know, how are you going to best perform and how are you going to best develop if you're in that situation? So with that sort of warning or caveat, <laughs> here's what I'm going to throw out. I'm going to say that you're best suited, uh, your best the best way you're going to contribute to your team is by scoring a ton of goals, And in that process, hopefully you're going to bring some other players up with you, and eventually you'll have more more than just one player who can score, who can contribute. But that definitely doesn't happen overnight. So until then, how are you going to best score goals? That's the real question. How are you going to best score goals for your team? The best way to score goals for your team is to let somebody else go in and put the pressure. It doesn't take a lot of skill to put pressure on a defenseman on the breakout. This is just one example. Right? It doesn't take a ton of skill to let a guy go in there, go as fast as he or she can, and go in there and put, put pressure on the defenseman. But with other players on your team putting pressure, that frees you up to be able to read where that pressure is going, where are they going with it, and possibly be able to intercept some passes. And once you've intercepted passes, now you can walk in and use your energy as an offensive threat instead of burning your energy... Trying to put pressure and then burning your energy trying to back check. So you're going to do that. That's kind of the first step. Use your energy in goal scoring outputs. Right? That's what we want to do. So you want to save your energy so that A, you can get that breakaway or B, you can intercept that pass. And then once you've gotten that scoring threat, if it doesn't go in on the first attempt, you want to have the energy to be able to uh, you know, jump on your rebound quickly and maintain control of the puck. So that's kind of one aspect. Now, um, again, this is going to kind of come across as, as possibly selfish or, or definitely it's definitely not well-rounded hockey, um, but the same question applies is, is pick and choose your moments of when it's actually worth it for you to back check and compare that to when it's actually going to be worth it for you to... use your energy scoring goals so for example um, if my team's up by three goals so three goals two or three goals that's kind of that uh, it's kind of that false sense of security phase right where it's like they say in fact you've probably heard a two goal lead's the worst goal lead right because it's a false sense of security you think you're up but then all it is is one goal and all of a sudden it's a one goal game again so I'd say like somewhere around three goals I think if, if you had three goals and the other team gets a break, well, is it going to be worth it for you to bust your energy chasing that player down, or is it going to be more worth it for you to save that energy and pop a goal the next shift, right? Now, if you're down, like, if if you're up by a goal with a minute left in a game and it's a big game, and, you know, yes, then I would say definitely back check. But in a regular game situation, I'd still say almost the same thing. And again, it's not well-rounded hockey, but in this, in this case, this isn't a well-rounded scenario, right? Um, I'd say let your other players back check. You know, you make your way back, but you don't have to be burning your energy getting back, especially if your team, you know, if, if, you're, if you're capable of providing that offense for your team. In that case, in this type of scenario, the best defense is a good offense, Right? And you're really, you know, one player can't do it all. So you got to pick and choose what it is that you're going to do. Now, I'm not saying this is a hard and fast rule. There may be different exceptions for different teams depending on where your team's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, but that's how it kind of ended up working out for me in the high school realm here in here in Salt Lake, is because I was sitting there going, you know what, I could, I I'll score six or seven goals a game. And if they score one or two while I'm on the ice, so be it. You know, the, the math still works out. Again, it kind of comes down to that money ball mentality is, you know, do you, need, do you need the back check or do you need your team to have more goals than the other team? Like that, that's really what the final result is. So what's the best way of achieving it? Well, I could really focus hard on the back check and have no energy left for, to generate that offense for my team. And then there's going to be nobody else on the team that can generate that offense. And so maybe we'll win by one nothing or something. Or I can say, hey, I don't care about the back check, but I know for sure if I can serve my energy, I'm going to score six or seven goals this game. So I'm going to work on scoring six or seven goals, and if they score a couple goals while I'm on the ice, then so be it, because I know that I can outscore the other team. Right, so that's like I said, it's kind of a weird, uh, it's kind of a weird mentality, and definitely not one that you're gonna, <laughs> that you're gonna say, hey, you know, this is what we got to do. Um, you know, it's it's not, <clears throat> if you're looking to build well-rounded team, well-rounded systems, hopefully, you know, hopefully at any level of travel hockey, you're not gonna run into this issue. Where you're gonna run into this issue is like I said, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where all of a sudden you're a big fish in a small pond, and uh, you know, how, how, how are you going to shoulder that burden for your team? You can't do everything. You can't be the first man in on the forecheck, check, the first man in on the back check and ex- be expected to score all the goals for your team. And, you know, this and that, and, you know, so really, um, that's how you do another, another, uh, aspect of this is, is the, uh, you know, digging in the corners, you know? Yeah, I could go in there and I could dig. I'm a good digger. That's one of the One of the things I do best, I'm good at digging in the corners. But in that situation, does it make sense for me to dig in the corners? Well, not really, because I dig in the corners even if I come up with the puck. Well, now what am I going to do with it? There's nobody to pass to, right? So I go in, i waste all my energy digging in the corner. Now I don't have energy to get out of the corner cleanly. I've got a guy draped all over me. So what am I going to do? You know, now I'm just giving the puck back to the man I'm exhausted. So, I say let the fray happen in the corner. Send two or three of your own guys in there. You wait around on the outskirts. And when the pop, when the puck pops loose, now you're jumping on it. Now you've got full energy because you haven't just wasted all your energy battling in the corner. And now you can do something offensively productive with the puck. Right? So, you know... This is this is one that's definitely my two cents worth. <laughs> I think there are different ways of evaluating this and different ways of uh, you know maybe addressing it. But in my experience, when that situation has happened to me, it's uh, I've found that I get way more bang for my buck by um, picking my moments. That's the other that's the other side of the coin. I kind of forgot to say. Usually, when you're the uh, the only player on your team that's uh, generating offense, usually the coach needs to play you more. So you can't go burning out your energy in 30 seconds then come off and wait for two minutes. So oftentimes you need to be able to stay on the ice for longer. You know, we're talking like a minute and a half or two-minute shifts or maybe even longer, depending on the situation, depending on how many players you got on your team and everything else. So that's another thing. So, you know, I, in my opinion, you're better off... Figuring out where your best contribution is going to be, which is usually going to be on the scoreboard, and then conserving energy at all times, unless it's going to result in a direct scoring opportunity, uh, and then make the most of those scoring opportunities, and then go back. So it's it's really it's burst and coast, burst and coast. So you're going to burst, then you're going to coast for a bit, and when you're coasting, you're not you're not you know hanging out out of the play. You're always. You're always hovering around the play, but you're not the guy in the middle of the fray because that's burning energy in the middle of the fray. you got to fight in the middle of the fray. So you're going to kind of stay off to the fringe a little bit, but still close enough where you can jump on a puck. And once you've jumped on it, boom, explode down the ice, take your opportunity, maybe get a rebound, and then back into coast mode. So burst and coast, burst and coast. Hopefully that helps. You know, I know I may even take some flack for that, but so be it, you know, I you're in a situation that's not optimal anyways for development, you might as well make it optimal for yourself Uh, you know, do the best chance for your team to have a winning season and uh, you know, go from there hopefully help a few players along the way you know, by the, so um, here in Utah, high school is considered 10th grade through 12th so by the end of my senior year you know, there were a few other guys that that could contribute as well but it's like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but you know, if you're if you're gonna take that mentality, where yes, you're gonna lead the way, but you're also gonna teach and bring people up along the way with you. Um, you know, eventually, it, it, you know, the high tide raises all ships, so they say, um, and that that will happen. But um, you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta play accordingly. You gotta make it. You gotta make it worth the time on the ice, and you gotta figure out the best way of doing that because you can't. One, it's not it's not a one man game. So you can't physically do everything that needs to be done on the ice. So you got to figure out how's your time, how's your time and effort best going to be used while you're on the ice. And that's uh, that's kind of what we're looking at. So as I always say, I'll say it once again, that's my two cents worth. Hopefully it helps, hopefully it helps for somebody that might be in that same situation. And we'll talk again next time.